the King of Kings this morning. Amen. He is the reason we've come. And what an honor that he would manifest his presence among us today. I know we all are witnessing the ministry of his spirit. I trust you are. There is a deep flow of the Holy Ghost that is ministering in very specific ways. And I thank God for that. And I thank you for your sensitivity and openness to him. Would you just one more time, would you lift your hands and your voice? Come on, him alone. Him alone. Jesus, you alone are worthy. Jesus, you alone are worthy. We lift our voice today in unison. We lift our voice today in praise to you, in agreement that you alone are worthy, God. Accept this offering, I pray, Lord. Accept our praise. Accept our worship today. Let it be pleasing unto you. Let it be a sweet savor in your nostrils, God. Let it ascend before your throne, a sweet fragrance in worship. We praise you, Holy One. We praise you, Holy One. We praise you, Holy One. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You can be seated this morning if you'd like to. Amen. I am going to dismiss the teachers to their classroom today. I pray the richness of God in that classroom. Thank you, praise and worship, for leading us today in the the realm of the king. I feel the king today. (laughs) I feel the presence of the king today. I... You know, I I know he's all of those things. Someday I feel the nearness of the Father. Today I feel the presence of the King. (laughs) I'm thankful to know the King. Aren't you? I don't know why that scripture comes into my spirit. Pilate put the sign on the cross, King of the Jews. Some of the Jews dissented and said, Say not he's the King of the Jews. Say he said he's the King of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Whether you want to know him as king or not doesn't change the fact that he is. He is. And the scripture declares one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I feel the king here today. Well, would you would you just take a moment, entertain the king? Just entertain him. Entertain his presence. Let the majesty of the king, if it just has you open your or lift your hands and all, that's okay. Maybe there's words, maybe there's not, but you are worthy, you are holy. We worship you who was slain but is risen and lives forevermore. We worship you, the King of kings. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. You are the one true living King. Hallelujah. We seek your kingdom in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to dismiss children today, 4 to 11.
children, 4 to 11, you can go to your class. I'm, I will say as they're going, I, I know an appeal went out before the end of the year. Would you please, please hear me. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, if you're on that journey and you're like, you know what, I'd really like, I feel like that I'd like to be engaged and involved in working with children, helping the children. Brother Joey and Sister Stephanie Charles Mercado carry a significant burden that's God-given. and They have a gift. They could use some help. And we're transitioning back to multiple classes now. And we've had a, we've had a couple of people communicate to them that they're available. Uh, but if you could do so, uh, would you prayerfully consider that and then reach out to Brother Joey and Sister Stephanie saying, hey, I make myself available. Maybe you say, man, I don't know that I can teach kids. They can use help with other things. Okay. Um, and I know sometimes the challenge of that is like, man, yeah, but that means I don't get to be in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. You understand they're never in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And so we're trying to get some things coordinated. So at a minimum, once a month, I told them I'd like them to be in the sanctuary the entire service. And, uh, and so would you please be praying about that? And if just me mention it goes, you know what, I need to say something then you don't need to go pray about it. You just need to go talk to them. Okay, if you've been in prayer, you don't, you've don't. been in fellowship with the Lord. Um, and, and if you say, hey, I'd like to help, but I only want to try to do two Sundays a month, I'd like, then do that. Let them know that. Just communicate with them clearly and let them, and, uh, and we'll work through that. We do have some guidelines that we have for working with children. We'll go through that once you connect with them and they're aware of all that. But amen? It's ministry. It's needful ministry. We should train up children in the way they should go. They don't just babysit downstairs. Matter of fact, that's not their focus. Uh, Brother Joey and I were visiting a little bit yesterday after men's prayer, and uh, they have a they have a focus that in every class, no matter the lesson, they make sure they bring it back to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said. All the law, Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they all testify of me. So every Old Testament Bible story that's fundamental and foundational that we're teaching our children, they have a focus that by the end of the lesson, no matter the story, they bring it back to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an important focus. And so I thank God for their burden. I thank God for their heart. And they could use help in the labor. Amen. And there's helpers. So I, I just, uh, they had put out a communication. I asked them if it would be all right if I said something. Amen. Uh, speaking of help in the labor, wasn't it nice to not have to drive through 18 inches of snow to park this morning? Now, I realize there were some, st- you got to be careful with your steps. Um, but uh, I, I so appreciate Brother Zario, Brother Robert, Brother Jacinto. Uh, they spent considerable time here Friday night. Uh, plowing, shoveling, putting down salt, scraping, moving, just to get clear in the front, get the sidewalks clear, get the back clear. Um, You know, the Bible talks about ministry of helps. The ministry of helps. And I'm so thankful. I I mean this with all of my heart. I'm so thankful. So many of you, I I get in trouble. I call it, this, this is just the most recent example. I know... I should probably take a moment and mention 
the open house that we had just before Christmas. Remember the beautiful decorations that were on the wall and the tables looked so beautifully decorated with greenery and different. Well, Sister Armenia and Sister Yadira spent their time here the day before working and doing that. And then the food looks so beautiful on those plates. You know, it doesn't just pop on there like that automatically. Somebody has to come and spend time and effort and energy. And Sister Veronica spent her time come and early. And I thank God for talents and gifts that will be given to serve. That's ministry. You understand? That's ministry. Now, you might say, well, how did that reach a soul? Well, you pulled in the parking lot. We were able to walk in this morning, so that clearing of snow made a way for you. You understand? There was fellowship. We enjoyed that open house. There were people that were there. We got to sit beside somebody taking the time to do those things in the background. Made it all look beautiful and possible, so it was a great time together. That's a ministry. Amen? All right. That's, just, that's my little, uh, I don't want to call it an advertisement. It's not that. Commercial. This is important. And, and so many of you do so many things. Thank you. I am so thankful. I know I say it a lot, so I hope you know I really do mean it. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. Aren't you? Members one of another. Praise God. Did I dismiss the kids? I did. Okay. All right. Good. I saw a couple scattered, and I know sometimes they hang out. So, all right. Amen. Praise God. I don't want to put them on the spot, do I? I want to say it's good to have Bishop and Sister Schoonover with us this morning. They travel a lot. And so when they're here, they're not guests, you understand. They're part of the body. It's nice when we get to have them physically here every once in a while. And we thank God that they're here worshiping with us this morning. I do want to give Bishop opportunity if he'd like to take one this morning. And so would you just allow the Holy Ghost to continue to work this morning? Amen. Bishop, God bless you. There's something that's been stirring on my heart this morning. So you understand that when I am given opportunity to speak or say something, it's not because of something I've observed and I'm addressing. It's just simply something that God has been stirring in my heart. Okay. There was a gentleman that I was maybe in the car from time to time with. We were driving down the road, and maybe there was an elderly woman that would walk across the road. He'd say something like, look at that old heifer. And then he'd cackle. If it was a man, he'd say, uh, that old geezer. Now, and then he'd cackle. Now, for him, somewhere in his development process up to that time, and he did live with a mom and a dad in his youth, there was an attitude and an outlook on life and on people that had permeated who he was. And so, if you were in his company and that kind of a situation presented itself, he couldn't help himself because it was not just once, but it was 
multiple times. I could hear his voice today. Oh, look at that old heifer. Now, in contrast to that, my father's second wife was an airline stewardess. He was an international air, uh, captain for TWA, but he, mar he married a stewardess who had moved here from the Ukraine. She came through Ellis Island in New York City when she was five years old. In her schooling and in her preparation for to be an airline stewardess, she was educated on social etiquettes. And so I can also her voice hear her voice through the years when we had that special dinner in the dining room at the dining table and the china and the silverware, you know, multiple forks. And I could hear her saying, if it's the last thing I'm, I do, I'm going to teach you kids some manners. And so manners and etiquette was always on the forefront of her mind. Now, I suppose maybe we acted like heathens half the time. I don't know. I don't know that we were that bad, but it seemed like she felt like it was her duty in life that she was going to teach us manners and etiquette. Now, I'd like you to bring up, if you would, John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, there was one other example I wanted to give to you. You know, how many here feel like you have good manners? Just about everybody in the house. You've got good etiquette. You know, it's a social etiquette to take your hat off when you come into a building. That's a social etiquette. That's not praying with your head covered. It's a social etiquette. This was explained very well by Brother Hart in his teaching recently. But it's etiquette. Now, there was I have a, a friend, a good friend, who showed something to me in life that I have endeared. Whenever I would approach Mr. Joel A. Garcia and extend my hand, see, my dad, my dad, he, he taught us to introduce each other, introduce, stick out your hand, look him in the eye, you know, tell him your name. And, and I thought, well, I got that. And so I'd come to Joel Garcia, and I'd stick at my hand, but he never met me back with one hand. It's always with two. And in a place of, I don't know, I, it, it, was, it was like uh, almost subservient. And it marked me. 
and it wasn't one. It's been almost every time. Now, we're good friends. We've been, for, we've been friends for more than 20 years, okay? And still, when I extend my hand to him, I get two. Now, not right now. He's got his Bible in his other hand. But there's, there's an action that takes place between he and I that is so caring there's it's more than hey how you doing you know today they don't even shake they give it one of these one of those and i don't know i can't keep up with that stuff now it was common in the day that we're about to read about that people wore sandals and walked dusty roads and then when they entered into a house, there was normally somebody there who was a servant who would meet and stand before you or kneel before you with a basin of water and wash your feet. This was customary. But again, that was normally something that a servant did. When supper being ended... The devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from the supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. I, I don't know. I suppose, you know, arrangements weren't made. There was an arrangement made for the room. There was a, an arrangement made for the meal. But when those 12 apostles, men, came into the room, you know, they probably looked across the room, and they, you know, Peter saw John, and he ducked and went and, sat a place at the table, and maybe one of, the, one of the others, they looked across, looked around, and there was no servant available, so they sat down at the table. And after he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wash them with the towel, to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now. You cannot possibly understand the significance of what I am doing to you right now. See, this wasn't a social etiquette. This wasn't somebody being more mannerly than somebody else. This, is, this was an attitude and a perspective that would have far more bearing on their lives from this time forward. This came to me, so I'm just going to say it. I'm going to share it. I think Joe Garcia is a great guy.
He had a mom and a dad. Mom and dad, at some point in their life, exampled some things to them. You know how I know this? Because when I walk into the building in Union Gap and I extend my hand to Adam Garcia, he meets me with two hands. Just saying. Jesus answered and said unto him, to Peter, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. What I am talking to you about, Jesus speaking this, when I, what I am about to example to you, what I am about to show you, if you don't participate to the degree that I am requiring of you, you have no place in me. You have no part in me. What I do now, you don't fully comprehend. But there will come a day of the significance and the importance of this. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my, my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you. You call me master and Lord. You say well. For so I am. If I then, your Lord, your master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that has sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I received a, uh, a call, an inquiry of a man in leadership who wanted to uh, run something by me. I'm thinking about asking so-and-so to lead up this particular project. And I just wanted to get your take on it. And immediately something came to me. I said, the last time you and he had a conversation... Do you remember how that played out? He spoke to you as his peer. You're his elder. You're his oversight. But you, he spoke to you as peers. And it wasn't casual. 
It was a difficult conversation for him to walk through. And I said, I don't know another person associated with you that has had that kind of a conversation with you. Is there? He said, no. Now, I made a statement that I felt like I knew was in the Holy Ghost. I said, you example servitude. You communicate respect. He hasn't done either one of those things to you, for you, with you, alongside you. He put himself in the place as a peer. He, I associate that with those apostles coming into the room and and possibly glancing one at the other, and they were peers. They saw themselves as equals, so to speak. And so, neither one put themselves in a position because there were no servants in the room. Now, what is it? Was Jesus... He wasn't teaching them manners. He wasn't teaching them respect even, one for the other. But he was teaching them, if this ingredient does not exist in your living, in in your aspect, in your perspective, in your attitude. I got to get somebody else. I haven't observed anything. I haven't heard anything, but I've had this stirring in my spirit since last night. Would you stand with me for a moment? I cannot tell you of the significance that I feel in the Holy Ghost of what the Lord would have us to understand in this, in our living, in our approach one to another, in our approach one to another, peer to peer. This isn't me to my boss. This isn't me to some great leader even in my life. This is peer to peer. This is me esteeming others Better than myself. Let's pray. Father, let the significance of this word lodge its place into my heart. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm thankful to you, Lord God. I'm thankful to you, my Father. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Jesus. Jesus, we're thankful to you, Lord. We're thankful to you, Lord, Jesus. 
We're thankful to you, Father. <clears throat> Amen. Thank you. Enough years have passed that I've been able to observe that gentleman, that, you know, that old heifer, that old geezer, his method of communicating, his perspective in life. He's a lot older now. You think he has any respect for his mom and dad? Eh. What about those that have watched him? What about his kids towards him? You think there's any bearing in that? Behavior's the greatest teacher. Servitude is exampled. Respect is communicated. Elder Hart and I have worked together for more than 20 years. He has exampled great servitude through all these years that I've known him. He has communicated great respect. How do you think his kids treat me? With great respect and servitude. I enjoy extending my hand to his children and greeting them because of what comes back. It's not something I'm looking for. It's only something that I acknowledge. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to stay right here in the Holy Ghost. Um, Psalm 133. You understand clearly from what the Lord has ministered through Bishop the challenge among the disciples was how they viewed one another. You can look in one of the Gospels and just before the what we call the Last Supper, we find the disciples arguing over which one of them is going to be the greatest among them. They were arguing about position and place just before Christ was about to go through the darkest time of his life. And they were focused on their place and their position. He was dealing with that when he was washing their feet. You're all looking out for yourself. You ought to be serving one another. Okay. Now, so the Lord's dealing with us here. I have a question for you. And this is a genuine question. It's not a rhetorical How many of you believe that you have a calling of God on your life? I want you to raise your hand. God has a designed purpose for you. That's what I mean by calling. I want you to keep your hand up for a minute. Don't put it down. You believe you have a calling of God on your life, a divine purpose. He didn't just create you to exist. All right, that's almost the entire room. All right, you can put your hand down. 
You got a key to your calling already this morning. Okay. Psalm 133, it's familiar to many of us. Behold, pay attention, look, notice, see, watch, recognize how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I want you to notice something about that verse. I don't know why God's been dealing with me about it this way. Well, I'm, I'm sure he knows. I have an idea. He didn't say how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to agree in unity. Not what he said. He didn't say how good and pleasant it is for brethren to have unity. He said how good and how pleasant it is to dwell together. See, here we are. How is it that you can think you know someone, then you marry them and you start living together and it's like, whoa. Whoa, whoa, hold on a minute. It was all good. Now we're married, we live together. It's different dwelling together. You with me? It's different dwelling together every husband and wife i see some i see some ladies going <laughs> and i see some wise men going <laughs> it's different dwelling together okay the psalmist said behold pay attention notice it's good and it's pleasant to dwell together in unity now you may say, oh, we don't dwell together. Oh, but we do. We should. In unity. I want you to watch what it's like. Verse 2. It is like the precious ointment upon the head. Precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. I want you to notice something about this verse that we can skip over. This is so familiar. I've quoted this chapter so many times. This ointment on the head of Aaron is not just any ointment. This is anointing. If you go back and you read in the law, this was the anointing oil that God told him to create. And it was an anointing oil that Moses took under the inspiration of God and the instruction of God. And he took that anointing oil and he poured it over Aaron's head. There was an anointing for an office, an anointing for a calling, an anointing for a ministry to step into the presence of God. He said, when brethren dwell together in unity, it's like the anointing that I called to be put on Aaron's head you want anointing in your calling you better learn to dwell together in unity no learning to dwell in unity no anointing on your ministry you want you want to see God pull his anointing back Watch a life that begins to go out and be individualistic in their ministry. Watch a life that says, I can do this on my own. I don't need my brother. Oh, I'm smarter than they are. I'm better than they are. I've figured out what they haven't. I don't need them. They need me. You watch the anointing of God get removed in a hurry. Unity is where anointing comes. 
It's anointing. Well, amen. It ran down his beard, skirts of his garment. You see, it didn't just touch his head. Man, it covered him. He went on further. It's like the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon. As the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there where brethren dwell in unity. There. You know what we're experiencing this morning as we worship? There's unity in worship. That moving in ministry of the Holy Ghost, it's the blessing of the Lord. Comes in a unity of worship. There in a place of unity, the Lord commanded the blessing. And it doesn't just say he commanded the blessing. It tells us what the blessing is that he commanded. He commanded life forevermore. Now you got that? All right, now go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. That was just a quick intro. I feel the Holy Ghost in case you can't tell. Now, if you were with us Thursday night on the Zoom call, we did the second half of Ephesians. We're backing all the way up to the first half right now. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse number 1. The Apostle Paul, of course, is declaring to the church at Ephesus. I want you to pray with me right now, but hear me before we pray. I feel so strongly about what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. I feel so strongly that I'm going to be so bold as to say that these things today are the key to the harvest of souls that God intends in these valleys. And if we, by His grace and His Spirit working in us, can receive and operate in these things, there will be no limit to what he can and will do through us as yielded vessels. Would you pray with me? If you're saying, Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. I pray break up any fallow ground that I would receive of your word what you intend. Give me a discerning ear to hear your voice. Let the light of your word shine into my spirit with clarity. Let the thoughts of my mind be established in your word that flow from you. Let every thought of my own self be brought in captivity and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the word of God prevail. Let the spirit of God prevail. Let the thoughts of God prevail. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, or verse 1, Paul said, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, notice the posture in which he's taken, I am the prisoner of the Lord, I did not choose this, God brought me into captivity, he's a willing prisoner, I beseech you, I beg you, I urge you. That you walk worthy of the vocation. That's the work. Wherewith you are called. Now, almost everybody in this room raised our hand and said, I believe I have a calling of God on my life. Paul's speaking to us. I'm begging you, he says. Now, you raised your hand. I'm going to assume maybe some of you may even had an idea of what the purpose is. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, man, I believe that, but I'm not sure what it is yet. That's okay. He'll reveal it. 
If we'll pursue these things we're hearing today, God will reveal the calling. Ministry makes room for itself. All right? So Paul is saying, I'm, I'm begging you, walk worthy. And then he's going to begin to, of the vocation or the work to you which you're called. You're calling. Walk worthy of your calling. Now he tells us how to walk with all lowliness. That's humility. With all meekness. That's not arrogance or pride. That's not exalting myself or lift. This is how you're supposed to walk in your calling. Not like, oh, I'm called, so get out of my way. No, no, I'm walking humbly in my calling. I'm walking in the fear of God. This is this, I'm a prisoner to the Lord. Notice what Paul said, I'm a prisoner to the Lord. And so I'm not operating in my own ability or my own anointing, but I'm operating under the anointing of the Almighty God. And so I'm coming humbly, lowly, and meekly in my calling. I'm not talking about timidity like, oh, woe is me. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. Just I'm not talking about self-defacing or self-demeaning, you understand. I'm a child of God. Now, notice, in your calling, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering. What do I need long-suffering for my calling for? Oh, because your calling and my calling is not about you and me. It's about his kingdom. And it's about others. It's about others. Long-suffering is for others. You better have long-suffering in your calling. Notice the next part. Forbearing one another. Hold on, Lord. We were talking about my calling. You've already shifted this to other people. Right. Forbearing one another in love. What does that mean? That means, I'm, I'm gonna, this is plain English, right? I'm going to put up with my brothers and sisters' faults and shortcomings the same way I want them to put up with mine. Because when I walk in my calling, it doesn't mean I'm perfect and I have it all figured out and I've got everything going on and you just haven't done it yet. What it means is I understand God and His great mercy uses me in spite of myself if I'll humble myself and submit to Him. And I know that He'll do the same for you. And so I'll be long-suffering to you and you be long-suffering to me. And I'll forbear you in love and you forbear me in love. And let's walk in our calling together. Right? This isn't, this isn't a condoning of sin. This isn't a compromising of the gospel. This isn't a compromise. Verse 3, watch verse 3. Endeavoring, everybody say endeavoring. endeavoring. That's work. Everybody say work. work. That's just a real long word for work. Working, endeavoring to, to do what? Oh, you mean unity doesn't just happen? Not just automatic? It's work endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Notice he didn't say to keep the unity of your life. There are things that would creep in when I'm walking in my calling and you're walking in your calling that would try to cause me to break the unity of the Spirit. So what happens? Here's what happens. We know, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself. i got to be careful. We have to work to keep the unity of the Spirit. 
How do I do that? I have to continue to fellowship the Spirit. If I'm continuing to have fellowship with the Spirit of God, I'll endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. But if I, if I plug in for these doses of the Spirit, then I'm going to go walk in my calling and my own ability and my own what I've learned and my knowledge and my own what I think of myself. And I'm not fellowshipping the Spirit continually day by day. I'll lose disconnect with the Spirit. And then all of a sudden I'll get at odds with my brother. I won't forbear them. I'll be like, man, they just don't get it. What? I have to endeavor. i got to work to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the only way I can do that is if I stay in true fellowship with the Spirit of God. And so I have a responsibility to you, my brother and my sister. I have a responsibility to you in my calling to stay in fellowship with the Spirit of God. And you have a responsibility to me and to your brother and sister to stay in fellowship with the Spirit of God. Why? Because every single one of us in our calling are endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. But we can't do it if we're not fellowshipping the Spirit. why we need unity in our homes unity in our homes those of you that here last Sunday night you remember we prayed a lot about unity that wasn't pre-planned it's where the Lord led us but it has stayed with me all week now these are just the first three introductory verses of this chapter but the message is very clear there has to be unity of the spirit Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body. Everybody say one body. How many bodies? One. When you and I were born of the Spirit, we were born into one body. God is not going to split his body up just to satisfy you or I. If it doesn't seem to be working for me, if I can say it that way, then there's something I need to get in touch with the Spirit of God about and endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's one body. There's one Spirit. Paul's driving this point home with the Ephesians. Even as you are called, now he's back to your calling. Even as you are called in one hope, of your calling. Your calling has one hope. But it's all in one body. And it's all by one spirit. None of us. Are independent. If we are independent. We have stepped out of operating in the spirit. There is not a single part of your body that's independent. Not a single part. We agree? My right hand does not operate independently of itself. It's dependent on everything it's connected to. There is not a single part of your body that operates independently. Some of you, I, I can feel, here's how human we are. I can feel some of the wills in your head and spirit turning, trying to think of some part of your body that operates without another part. I'll save you the time. Trust me. There is not a single part of your body that operates independently. And so we need to understand spiritually 
There is not going to be a single part of his body that operates independently. Every part of his body, when he filled it with the Spirit, that was, the, that was the one, another part, I hate to say the greatest miracle, but it was a great miracle of being filled with the Spirit, is that when you and I were filled with the Spirit, we were born all of a sudden into one body. That was the great miracle on the day of Pentecost, not just that 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost, but that all of a sudden 120 different people became a part of one body. And then 3,000 were added to one body, and 5,000 were added to one body. And now all of a sudden this one body began to function in Jerusalem, and miracles happened, and a city was changed, and in two years and a little further all of Asia heard the word, and a little further the whole world had been turned upside down. Why? Because one spirit... One body operating in unity was accomplishing the will of God in the earth. No one was operating independently. Did that mean everybody was cookie cutters? God forbid. I hope that my hand doesn't look like my ear. They serve different functions. They have different parts. They're different parts. We're not all meant to look the same, act the same, function the same. You understand? I'd have been a little concerned I'm not saying it's not possible. Don't take this the wrong way. I'd have been a little concerned, though, if I got a message from Sister Denise Escalera saying, hey, my husband said I could take the snowplow from his job. I'm going to be plowing the church lot. I'd be like, you know what? Why don't you just hold right there? I think I'll find somebody else. (laughs) Brother Rigo just got scared just me mentioning that. Right? (laughs) Just get this picture of Denise driving up snowplow. Isn't that scary? (laughs) She said I could do it. I bet she could. I bet she could. Like I said, I'm not making some male-female statement there. But you, you understand. It, it, it's about function in the body. Okay? I, I thank God that Brother Robert was out here shoveling the sidewalk. All right? I, I do. I'm sure that Sister Priscilla could have rode in the truck with Brother Zario as he was plowing, and she could have got out. And she, but I like it a lot better that Brother Robert was out there shoveling rather than Sister Priscilla. I'm sure she could do it. Again, it's not a male-female but function in the body. We're not trying to be cookie cutters is my point with that. So, we'll just stick with the snow removal thing. That's a safe place for all of us, okay? <laughs> right? Now, I want, you to sh- I want to show you what happens if you're not endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Here's what happens. Humanity. Brother Rigo's back there going, man, next time it snows, I'm going to try to beat somebody down there. I'd like him to say, I went out and shoveled. Competition among the body. No, 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 no. Function, place, operating in the spirit, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why would we do that? Because there's one body. Because there's one body and there's one spirit and you're called and I'm called. Every one of us are called not to the same function, but we're all called in one hope of our calling. Now, watch. I want you to watch it. The Apostle Paul has said all this. He's addressing the body. He's addressing the body. But now he gives us this example. Watch verse five and six and seven. One Lord. Oh, did we just shift gears? Is he going to preach to us about oneness for a minute? No, no. I mean, he is, but he's given us an example of unity. One Lord. You want to talk about unity? I and my Father are one. 
Jesus made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. I, why was he doing that? He was fulfilling the will of the Father. It was about his calling. And so he understood, i got to be in complete unity with the Spirit of the Father as the man Christ Jesus to fulfill my calling. And so Paul is using this as examples to the church of what unity looks like. First and foremost, above all, one Lord. This is why you can never divide God into three persons. That's the ultimate picture of disunity and confusion if ever there was. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Those two verses are exampling to the church the picture of unity. And if God is in unity, he's saying his body is going to be in unity. And so we're going to do this in lowliness, in meekness, long-suffering one toward another, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now watch. Verse 7. But to every one of us. I'm telling you, I have new revelation about this verse today. I say that humbly, but in all sincerity. To every one of us. Every say, me. Everybody say, every one of us. That's pretty specific, isn't it? To every one of us is given grace. The same exact equal amount proportion. Is that what that says? It's not what it says. To every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. What's Paul talking about? Grace according to the measure of the gift. I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about calling. He hasn't changed context in the middle of his writing to Ephesians. And so guess what? God knows your calling and purpose that he placed you in the body for. And so guess what he does? He says, Brother Martin's going to need grace for his calling. That's different than the grace, the measure of grace that Brother Abel needs for his calling. Same spirit. But the measure of grace that's needed for Brother Joel's calling in the road he's walking in his place in the body is different than the grace that's... And he in every part where there's calling, God gives grace according to the measure of the gift. You say, hold on a minute. I got shortchanged. If they got more grace... No, no, no. He gave you grace for your calling. Exactly what you need for his designed and designated purpose in your life. He said, I've got grace for that. I have given you what is needed to enable you to fulfill my calling in your life. That's a great hope. Now, sake of time, skip down with me to verse number 11. He's still talking about the same thing. Okay? And he gave. Everybody say he gave. Doesn't say he made. He gave. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, hold on. Stay right there. I know we call this the fivefold ministry, and I think that's exactly right. Some people call it the fourfold ministry because pastors and teachers, they say, is the same. I'm not here to split hairs about all that. Okay. These are ministries. Everybody say ministry. These are not offices. These are not offices scripturally. These are ministries 
Now, here's the problem. Man. You guys doing all right? Okay. Need to stretch. Just do it. These are ministries. Here's, here's the problem. We have made, like me standing right here behind this podium, saying, okay, he is a pastor. I'm okay with that in terms of how we use it in North America. I may be teaching as a pastor, which the word means shepherd. Pastor means shepherd, shepherding sheep. But that's a ministry. That's not an office. Okay, The biblical office, as we know, is elder. That's the office. You have bishop, elders, and deacons. These are offices in the scripture. This ministry, these are ministries that were given to the body of Christ. Now, I have a question. See, we, we need to, the Lord's got to do a work in our mind and our spirit so that we can function in our purpose and our calling. Now, because of our North American and our, our churchdom picture of this, we have assigned all of these things to people and offices. And it has hindered the work of God in the earth. So we need God by his spirit to completely break that mindset and that thought process from us. Completely. This idea of we need to have an evangelist come. As though that's an office where we bring somebody. Oh, this person's an evangelist. You come and I'll hand you the, pool, the, the microphone. And now we have an evangelist here. Oh, and we're going to invite this person. They're a prophet. And now we have a prophet standing here. Now, that can happen. You understand. People can operate standing here. You with me? But do you really think that's how the body of Christ operates in the earth? Okay, let me get my prophet and get him to a microphone and get him in front of a group of people real fast. Okay, now I need an evangelist. Let me get an evangelist. Is that really? I mean, doesn't that sound foolish? Some of you are like, I think so, but I don't know that I want to say that because that's the only thing I know. But if you pause and think for a minute about the functioning of a body, that doesn't make sense. And we're talking about reaching the world, the kingdom of God, his purpose, calling on our lives. Now watch. I think we can all bear witness that Brother Lewis and Sister Julie have the ministry of an evangelist. How many of you here are sitting here today because they taught you a Bible study and God opened the door for you and you received truth? Raise your hand if you're here because of that today. Look around the room. Okay? That's the work of an evangelist. So we probably saw 10, 15 people, and there's people that aren't here today. What is that? That's the ministry of an evangelist operating through the body. Now, very rarely, not never, you've heard them take the microphone and speak, and I'm sure they will again. But their ministry of an evangelist doesn't operate here. I'm not saying ever, maybe periodically. Usually when they're taking the microphone here, they're imparting the ministry that God's giving them. And as they're speaking, that ministry that operates through their life is imparted through their words to where it can begin to operate through yours in different places. Does that make sense? But they operate in their ministry in the body where? Where an evangelist is supposed to. Where we're all supposed to operate in our calling, in the field. We're not looking for these five things to operate in these four walls. We're looking for them to operate through the body in the field. 
You with me? I've watched and listened to Brother Martin at anger management class. He has the ministry of a teacher. It flows through him, his ability to communicate points, and I've watched it continue to grow and to do so, and sometimes I just marvel and amaze. I'm, I'm not saying that like, wow, I can't believe he's doing that. I, I mean it like I, I just it's just beautiful to see the anointing of God, and I realize, man, the flow, there's a flow of ministry and teaching, and sometimes I sit there and I look around that anger management class, and I'm like, if you guys just knew what you're getting right now and you would receive that, what's happening? He's in the field. He's in the field, and this ministry of a teacher is flowing. I've watched it with Brother Zario and Sister Priscilla in their home, listening to them teach a Bible study, and I've seen this ministry. What is it? They're in a function and a calling and many others. I could keep going around. What happens is this is things that are given. Verse 12. Why does he give all these ministries? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry and for the edifying of, of the individual. Oh, no. You mean me walking in my calling, the ministry God's put in my life and it flowing through me, that's not to edify myself? Nope. It's designed to edify the body of Christ. It's designed to edify the body of Christ. If mine and your ministry and calling flowing through our lives is not producing a spirit of unity and it's not edifying the body, we are falling short of fulfilling our calling. It should be producing unity and it should be edifying the body. Let's read further. So it's perfecting the saints. It's the work of the ministry. It's edifying the body until we all come. There's that word again. In the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That's a complete man. To the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the work of ministry in the body. Our calling, functioning, comes through a place of unity. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. This comes from a place of unity of spirit. I'm not competing with you. You're not competing with me. We each recognize God placed us in the body. And now we're simply seeking, God, I want to walk in my place. I want to walk in my function. If I, and this is why we need to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost in prayer, in conversation. Because what can happen? I may, I may have an exchange. Let's say I have an exchange here with Brother Robert. And I, and I walk away and I, I catch myself and I'm, something may be turning in me. And I'm like, man, I don't like the way you sit there. I got to deal with that. Now, I want to deal with that swiftly. Why? Because I don't want anything to bring division or schism in the body. So if I got to go back to my brother and say, man, I, I got to talk to you. You made this statement. It said, I, and I got to be able to do so knowing, you know what? He's going to receive this from me. Why? Because I'm going to do it in lowliness. I'm going to do it in meekness. I'm going to do it with long suffering. I'm going to forbear him in love. And I'm going to hope and expect the same from him toward me. 
I'm not going to lift myself above him. He's not going to seek to lift himself above me. I'm seeking unity in the body. I want, I want the body to function together. I want us to work together the way God intended us to flow and function and work together. I want to operate in ministry with Brother Joel when we're out together somewhere having a cup of coffee. I want to feel that flow of ministry when I'm having lunch with Brother Rigo. We're talking, well, I'm not better, you're not better. We're, what are we doing? We're the body of Christ operating together in God where He's placed us throughout these valleys and we're seeking. And so we have to settle the issue of our relationship one to the other. Are you hearing the word of the Lord today that has been from the beginning? We have to settle this issue of our relationship one with the other. One with the other. How do I perceive my brother? I hear the Lord asking Cain, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? He knew the answer. He just was wanting to shirk responsibility. Yes. We are our brother's keeper. Yes, we are our sister's keeper. We have a responsibility one to the other. God, give me a heart that says I'll serve my brother so that we have a body that functions in unity. We're seeking together to grow up into the head, which is Christ. We're seeking to come together in the unity of the spirit, in the bond of peace. Why? So that the body functions in the earth the way he intends. Oh, so I can become a really good Christian? No! So that I fulfill and find my place in the body and my function in the body and the Spirit of God that flows, life that's in the blood. You know, when you're buried in baptism, the blood of Jesus covers you. But when you're born into the body, blood doesn't flow over the outside of the body. Blood flows through the inside. The only way blood's going to flow through you is if you stay connected. You get severed from the body. There's no flow of blood. That's why it dies. We need unity in the body. And unity comes. And hear me. I'll use Bishop's words. I'm not addressing something because I know something's going on. I'm thankful for the unity of the spirit that I feel here. I'm thankful for the unity spirit that we felt Sunday night in prayer that moved through this house in waves. I thank God for that. I'm thankful the unity of spirit I feel just in the fasting that's going on together, the reaching out, the communication, the encouraging, lifting up of one. I'm thanking God for that. We must pursue that. We must seek that in our spirit. This isn't about let's see if we can agree on everything. No, no, no. This is about we're going to agree on the doctrine. Separation from the world, separation unto God. This voice of the Spirit that keeps dealing with us about casting off things, how we're using our time, but we're separating ourselves unto the Lord. Unity of the Spirit. Now, verse 16, last verse here in Ephesians. Paul says all this. From whom the whole body fitly joined together. That means rightly joined. Fitly joined together and compacted or strengthened is what that word literally means. Strengthened by that which every joint supplies. You've heard me teach this before. It's not strengthened by the parts. It's strengthened by what can only be supplied at the joints. 
where we're joined together is where the strength comes from. People would usually say the joints are the weak places. No. Jesus said the body is fitly joined and strengthened by what the joints supply. Is that what it says? Fitly joined and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Your and my relationship with our brother and sister affects the strengthening and the fit framing of the body. If you or I have ought in any way, small or great, against my brother or sister, it's affecting the strengthening and the fit framing of the body. And I need to find a place of repentance before God. Get it out of my spirit by his grace working through me. His blood washing over me. And if need be, go to my brother and sister and humble myself. No schism in the body. Unity of spirit. It's where he commands a blessing. And what happens? According to the effectual... Remember that what we said about the measure of grace earlier? Here we see that word measure again. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. And what does it do? It makes increase of the body. What's that look like? Making increase of the body. I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like souls being added to the church daily such as should be saved. How did they produce that? Unity. Unity of spirit. Unity of spirit. His spirit. Us fellowshipping his spirit. And there becomes a unity. Our eye becomes single like we talked about a few weeks ago. This casting off of all these other things and distractions. And all of a sudden everyone in the body is so intent on him and his will and his purpose and his kingdom. That there becomes a unity of the spirit. His spirit. Now, you could keep reading verse 17. We're not going to. That's where we started Thursday night. All those things about putting off and putting on, that came after him talking about all this unity stuff. Why would he say all that after the fact? Because if we don't put off some things and put on the right stuff, it will hinder unity in the body. All right. Stand with me one last place. John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse number 20. John chapter 17 to me is a beautiful chapter, as many in the scripture. The thing that's so beautiful about John 17 is if you read John 14, Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you. He told his disciples, I'm going to pray for you, and the Lord's going to send a comforter. Many of us know that in John 14. John 17 is Jesus actually praying for them. John 14, he told them he was going to. John 17, we actually, this is one of those times we get to see Jesus praying. And he's fulfilling his promise from John 14 that he would pray for them. And John 17 is his prayer. Now, we're not reading the whole prayer. But we're going to read 
near the latter part that is revealed of his prayer. And listen what he prayed. Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone. So we know now he's not just praying for the 12. Right? Watch. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Who's, who's their word? That's the 12. Guess what? You and I are here today because somebody believed on him through their word. So you know what that means? That means he was praying for us. That's what it means. He was praying for us. So what did he pray? Verse 21. Watch his prayer. That they all may be one. He said, this is what I'm praying. That they all may be one. Jesus prayed for unity in the body. Jesus prayed for unity in the body. For all that believe through their word, Father, make them one. The adversary will try to divide. The adversary will try to destroy. Father, I'm praying Make them one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Jesus prayed for us that we would have unity. The same way he was unified with the Father. That's why Paul referenced it in Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6. That they also may be one in us. Why would he pray that? Here's why. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Apparently, when the church, the body of Christ, is in unity like this, it sends a message to the world that they can't help but believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 22. And if you thought that was great, watch this. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. Why did he give that glory to the church? This is why I gave them the glory. That they may be one. Even as we are one. I want them to be one. I want there to be a unity of the body. And if there's a oneness in the body because they fellowship the Spirit of God, this is why He fills you with the Holy Ghost. Because our human, we're so different if you look around this room. We come from different walks of life. We come from different realms of influence. We come from broken homes, different homes, different lifestyles, different backgrounds, different countries, different nations, different parts of the country. We come from all places but the baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost becomes a unifying force and thereby the Spirit of God within us can make us one body and so as I fellowship his spirit this man who I didn't know for a large part of my life all of a sudden we're connected like we've never been connected before who did that I didn't do that he didn't do that God did that Because there is a one spirit, the indwelling spirit of God. And Jesus prayed, make them one. Make them one.
Last verse 23. He defines it. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one. If you missed the theme, I'm sure you haven't. Jesus was concerned about the unity of the body. And that the world may know that you sent me and has loved them as you have loved me. I am opening this altar to you today. Would you endeavor with me for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? In Ethiopia, there was a greater... You're praying, hear me. In Ethiopia in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a massive revival, a massive harvest of souls. There was much that came that tried to destroy it. Persecution of the church. People lost their lives. But there was a massive harvest of souls. Uh, One number over 58,000 souls in a few short years. One of the primary leaders that God used in that time was asked of him, how did you pray for revival? What did you pray to see this great harvest and revival in Ethiopia? And he made this statement. He said, we never prayed for revival. He said, we only prayed for unity. And God sent revival. We only prayed for unity and God sent revival. Precious people of God, I speak in humility of God and in sincerity. If I've ever lifted myself up in any way relative to you in your life, forgive me today. I need you. I need you. I thank God he's placed us in this body together. I realize we have place and calling and function and purpose. And we believe in spiritual authority and covering. But one is no better than the other. And we humble ourselves today in agreement in the fear of God. And say, God, make us one. According to your word. According to the unction of your spirit. That your will would be done. Let me serve my brother with the right heart and a right spirit. Let me serve my sister with a right heart and a right spirit. Let the spirit of unity prevail in the church and let the will of God be done. If there's anything in my heart, my mind, my spirit, my thoughts that has aught against a brother or sister, reveal it, illuminate it by your word and spirit and cleanse me, purge me, heal me, God. Let me make it right. I humble myself before you today, Father. We desire you and the unity of your spirit flowing and operating and ministering through our lives, in our homes, in our families, everywhere you would take us. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. That's right, just talk to him. Let the Spirit of the Lord lead and work in Jesus' name.